Would a bear really want a John Lewis alarm clock? Answer me this, answer me this Aren't you bored of celebs eating kangaroo cock? Answer me this, answer me this Helen and Ollie, answer me this Listeners, you're such a lovely, thoughtful bunch that you've been in touch in droves to suggest romantic comedies where people don't end up together as demanded by heartbroken Maz of Answer Me This 278. We've had tons of responses from you listeners and the ones that you said again and again and again are 500 Days of Summer mm. uh, and the uh, the Breakup. No! What? Oh, no. What? what? The Breakup is... I've not seen it. It's one of those films where it seems to have such a great disregard for how humans actually behave and what is actually funny that it's sort of like a little minion of dystopia. <laughs> Two stars at best. Okay. And there is no best. Is Jennifer Aniston uh, sweetly bland and attractive in it? It's fine. Well, that's okay fine. then, isn't Vince, it? Vince Vaughn is repugnant. Oh, is he? To I your taste also... or to any sensible woman? It's not a physical thing. Right. He just has written himself a repugnant character to play. Okay, so not and one And he that plays it repugnantly. Uh, 500 Days of Summer is quite good, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's not a rom com, which is what Maz demanded a rom com. I would say it's not mm. a com, particularly. It's a whimsy indie film romance with comic elements. Depending on Maz's heartbroken mood, she might not be that keen to watch these uh, tossers <laughs> <laughs> flirt around the relationship with each other. Because yeah, they is... are annoying, and I like both those actors. What is that job that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is supposed to have Don't in that they film? they write greetings cards? In a, in a, like a loft apartment? In Los Angeles. When you think, if, if you really worked for a company like Hallmark, it would, it would be like QVC. You'd be in an industrial estate, and it would all be made in China, and you wouldn't be cool. I know someone who used to work for one of those companies. I think he worked in Croydon. Exactly. That would be a much less romantic film. Um, I, like, I like to sit in the spot in Croydon and look at the bus station. <laughs> exactly. If you moved all the 500 days of summer to just outside the Ikea, then I think you've, <laughs> you've got yourself a more realistic film, haven't you? But probably not one that's going to cheer Maz up. 500 days of Ampere Way. Oh, but they could have a date at the Wingip. Oh, that is a good date. Mm. 500 days of dim sum. Well, Sim has suggested this is 40 saying it's depressing as hell and no one is happy in it and it's not funny or entertaining but they definitely split up uh that's also got someone in it with a ridiculous job not as ridiculous really? as joseph gordon levitt's job in uh, 500 days of summer but uh, the, the main character in that he works in in a record company right um but again just just completely unconvincing like he, he does he make the holes in the middle of vinyl no <laughs> he's no he's just he's far too cool it's all far too cool like and, and the stories about how the record company's not doing well because of mm. the internet but, I mean, he's not remotely mogulish or executive. Mm. He, like, wears cool clothes and tight jeans. And he's a really nice guy, but he's a millionaire from the record industry. You know, like, those people just don't exist. Nope. They don't look like that. Or they wouldn't be 40. They'd be older. But it has got Albert Brooks in it, which I think is always good. God, is he still alive? Yeah. <laughs> Constant surprise. And an amazing voice as well. So maybe that is one for Maz to check out. Albert Brooks to soothe her woes. Here's another option, though, listeners, to cheer yourselves up in, in whatever state of uh, misery or non-misery that you find yourselves in. Yeah, th- this will work even if you're already happy and you didn't oh, realise yeah. you wanted to actually be just super happy. There's always room for a tiny bit more happiness because we have a new album out. We bloody do. The Answer Me This Christmas. Christmas! It's an album we've done. Oh, now I don't know which bit you're doing. Christmas, it's all Oh, you're doing the Phil Spector thing. So, okay, I was thinking you would... I was doing Slade. I thought you were doing <laughs> the theme to Funhouse. Anyway, the point is, we've done an album all about Christmas. One hour of questions about Christmas. Yeah, in fact, last year, people were saying to us, have you done an album about Christmas? Have you done an album about Christmas? Mm. And so we've, done we've responded. Let's hope it's not like when children say... Oh, I wanted a Polly Pocket. And so next year the parents get it for them and they've grown out of it. They're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I want an iPhone. Mm. Uh, if you've ever wondered why we have mistletoe, 
who invented Christmas crackers and why Rudolph has a red nose. And how to uninvite people that you've invited around for Christmas oh, yeah, dinner. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those questions answered in this exclusive album. Uh, it costs £2.49 and you can buy it right now from answermethispodcast.com slash Christmas. Hi, hello, Nolly. It's Max from Portsmouth here. I'm in London and very hungover. What on earth is there to do here? Answer me that. Cheers. That's a very broad question. What is there to do in London? And also, what is there to do when hungover? And what's the crossover between those two things? <laughs> well, I've done those things in, in tandem. Um, and I would say that... Sleep in a park probably <laughs> until my, you feel better. My favourite experiences when hungover in London were... Okay, one, going up Monument. Really? Now, I, I know that's counterintuitive. Do you have to climb it? You have to, yeah. With your legs? Spiral staircase, yeah. No lift. Um, but I, I know that's counterintuitive because you think, oh God, you'd be dizzy, you'd feel sick. Yeah. But actually, when you have to focus on something, you know when you're still a yeah. little bit drunk the next morning, you have to focus on something. And then when you get to the top, the reward of the wind in your face and the sensational view. Aww. And no one chucks you off the top. Of, well, not literally, obviously. But no, <laughs> no one, there's not like time shifts on Monument. It's not like okay. on the London Eye. You can stay up there for three hours if you want. If you need to puke, though, is there a facility to do it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you projectile vomit out of the monument onto some passers onto a group of French tourists yeah. you probably could yes which would be entertaining in its own way so I'd highly recommend that that's a great suggestion um, Ollie. My, my other second my second favourite thing to do when hungover in London was to go to I, I forget exactly what it's called now but it's a facility within the BFI on the South Bank mm. where it's like a viewing room mm-hmm. where you can sit for free all day with a pair of headphones on and watch weird archive wow um, so, I have no idea about these things what's the matter with me yeah it's really I've lived good lived here for 11 years it's called something like not this but something like Filmcotech, something like right. that. And you, it's a bit poncy, but you, it's great because no one asks any questions. You can sit there and they have these weird subcategories, you know, mm. uh, French pornography of the new wave 70s or Anglo-Jewish comedy of the early 50s. And, you know, it looks like it's all academic, but actually yeah. you're just watching telly. It's great. Aside from going to somewhere like a library to have a sleep or going somewhere to have a fry up, something that often makes me feel better but maybe it's not a good idea when hungover is taking a river boat because the gentle motion oh, of the boat good. it's a bit like being rocked to sleep but if you're hungover do you need that motion no i think that's okay a great way to see the city as well yeah i think again it's similar to my monument suggestion that because i think the wind through your hair counteracts yeah. the movement fresh air fresh air is very important, important. Uh, failing all that the breakfast burrito at the breakfast club in soho Excellent. Or the other branches of the Breakfast Club if you're not near Soho. I can't vouch for those. I mean, I've been to them, but I haven't had the breakfast burrito in all of them. And, you know, I I, I only want to recommend what I can absolutely vouch for. But somewhere with fresh air first, I reckon, before you attempt burrito. Fresh air and fresh eggs. Hey, me again. should probably clarify, I'm an art student and they just kicked us out of a hostel we were staying at before we could even have a shower. So, yeah, that was really the thing. Where in London can I get a shower during the day? That'd be good. That. What's the fact that you're an art student got anything to do with you being kicked out of the hostel? Were you talking loudly about Da Vinci? They, they <laughs> painted on the walls. They did a collage with their own hair. Maybe they're repurposing the urinals into uh, sculptures. Don't they have uh, showers that you can pay to use in a lot of the mainline train stations? It's something like four quid for a shower. They certainly do. King's Cross, Paddington and Victoria. Oh, that's handy. All have shower facilities. Uh, and I suppose that's because people go to those stations from the airports and stuff. So the idea is there are, there are people that have been awake for like 14 mm. hours getting there. This is a bit weird, but if you pretend to be in a group, for example, a running group, mm. uh, you can hire the hub, which is a room full of showers in Regent's Park. You can hire a room full of showers? Yeah, because it's like a changing facility. That's two pounds. 
two pounds for two the whole pounds room to hire it yeah so you, in fact if you were just on your own you could hire the hub for two pounds well, they'd look at you a bit weirdly you but, could say you know, oh my friends they're just coming they left the towels they're busy doing the sport They'll the group are on the way yeah yeah, yeah can i just hire it for an hour have a room full of showers to yourself that's in a Regent's good Park. that's a good tip i can't help feeling that that renting a, sh- a whole showering to yourself is a bit like trying to rent a hotel room by the hour surely mm. the owners will go Hmm, we've heard this one before. I think that's probably right. Although, since the owners are the Royal Parks, I wonder if they have heard that one before, as people just simply don't dare. I think if you're hiring out showers in a park, then you don't ask questions. <laughs> Me again. Just to say, we stumbled into the Natural History Museum, Chris tells me, and my mood has done a complete 180. There was a fucking giant robot eye, and um, yeah, that's shit for hypers. So, hangover, come to the Natural History Museum. See ya. I never would have expected that the hangover crew would be seeing a giant robot eye in a museum. No, but it was good of him to keep us updated, wasn't it? Try um, it, listeners, if you're feeling a bit groggy after a hard night. It is an architecturally magnificent building, though, isn't it? The Natural yes. History Museum. And I, always, I always think I mean, this, the, uh, the things in cases are, mm, are very spectacular, but big... actually I prefer the architecture to the dinosaurs, genuinely. Yeah. I think you could put anything in there and it would look beautiful and significant. The problem about going to there, though, when you're hungover, is the noise of the children reverberating off all those lofty mm, walls. I think that's right. And actually, even on a weekday morning, probably full of school ah! trips, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I got lost in the Natural History Museum once on a school trip when I was 10 or 11. I went to look at the big whale. Who wouldn't? Exactly. And then everyone went. Did you used to uh, hate it on school trips when they'd give you some sort of educational task in yes. addition to the museum? Yes. Because I just used to think, actually, even though I'm only eight years old, yeah. I, I, I understand that we're learning things by being here. Yeah. I'm looking at a dinosaur skeleton. You don't need to give me a questionnaire. Yeah, I don't that, need to colour stuff in. It's very reductive, isn't it? Yeah. It just turns it into an acquisitive exercise rather than, um, you know, expanding your horizons. Yeah. Go around the museum and find the gold stars. This, it's like, no, let me just look at this painting. This is going to infuriate you, Ollie. They did that even when we went on a school trip to Chessington World of Adventures. There's no need. How did no they manage that? I'll tell you how they managed it, by not letting us go on the rides. Really not at all? Just the monorail. What? And then we just had to look at the giraffes, because there was the zoo bit then. That is close to sadism, taking really, a group of children really to Chessington World of Adventures. It's very difficult to pull off as well. Not letting them have any adventures. Chessington Closet of No Adventure, more like. Chessington World of Disappointment. <laughs> Chessington, Chessington Land of Unadventure. Dream. <laughs> Chessington World of Questionnaires. Oh, I'm sorry, Helen. Did you ever get to go on the vampire? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Good. When I went Separate on trips trip. there with my friend whose parents had split up, so she got taken there a lot by, yes. by each side. Divorce friend win. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got a question, email it in. To Martin the Soundman, Holly and Helen. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com yeah. Time for a magical question from Ryan in Melbourne, Australia. Ooh. That's right. What was that? There's that Magical reaction. noise. Yeah. You Ooh. wouldn't actually make that noise if you went to see Paul Daniels live, would no, you? No, because I wouldn't go to see Paul Daniels. <laughs> you might, might recoil in horror. Similar sound. Uh, Ryan says, uh, Helen asked me this, how did playing cards become synonymous with stage magic? you could say that also white rabbits and hats had become synonymous with stage magic if you if say you were doing a clip art thing to express stage magic yeah. you could choose any of those elements the woman you? sawn in half bit fancier 
Still synonymous with magicians, though, isn't you, it? You don't see it generally outside of stage magic context without it being a horrific crime. Nonetheless, see what it means. I mean, cards do form an interestingly large portion of magicians' repertoires, isn't it, even yes. now? Well, I think that is a, a fairly rational thing to happen because uh, there are so many variables and yet it's a common object mm. that people recognise but it becomes magical in the correct hands. Uh, people and, understand the odds, don't they? Yes. One in 52 chance yeah. of and, guessing my card. And it, and yet those 52 things are small enough to do sleight of hand with. Yes. Do they still do much card magic though, magicians? Because David Blaine just seems to do self-sacrifices and everyone else does fancy stunts, don't they? Uh, they do, but even the likes of... Um, Dynamo mm. will do uh, a ridiculously extravagant where he gets shot by the card in his chest <laughs> and then it comes out in his poo trick. Wow. But it still involves a card. <laughs> right. Like, because there is that still that thing. Everyone understands what the pictures mean. They mm. understand the chances, the odds. Yeah. They also can't actually inspect the prop in the same mm. way as when you say, look at this knife. Is it a real knife? I mean, that clearly is or isn't a real knife. Whereas with a pack of cards, look at the cards. Are they real or not? Well, you're dealing them, mate. Uh, you're the magician. They're probably a trick pack of cards, aren't they? But I'm not going to look through every single card and I don't know how to deal them to make them a trick pack, so I can't yeah. tell you. Uh, so I think there's that element as well. Mm. Um, and also, I suppose it's the tradition, isn't it? I mean, magicians, they tend they tend to be boys. They tend mm. to be quite geeky boys when they're younger who spend many, many hours in their childhood bedrooms trying to be David Blaine or David Copperfield or Houdini or whoever it is. And therefore, I think that it's inevitable that when they grow up and have their own magical stage shows, they're going to want to do playing card tricks. I'd imagine for a teenage boy, it's a bit easier to emulate David Blaine staying in a box mortifying his own flesh for a long time <laughs> than it is being David Copperfield and uh, making huge buildings disappear. Yeah, but David Copperfield does card tricks too. Does he? Yeah, I went to see David Copperfield no. this year. Yeah, yeah. He was very good, actually. No, really? I, I, went, I was in Vegas and I was like, well, you know, when in Rome? Oh, hold on, I'm not in Rome. That's the themed hotel up the road. <laughs> <laughs> when at the MGM Grand, obviously one should go and see David Copperfield because it's that kind of place. It's like, see him or share. But I mean, let's not fuck around and pretend we're here to see art. And it would have been amazing if you'd gone to see it and it had just been somebody reading the book David Copperfield <laughs> on a chair on a massive stage. Simon Callow's one-man show. Uh, <laughs> just him reading for four days. Uh, no, it wasn't that. It was a good. It was a good archetypal Vegas show to go and see. Because he has got that kind of ultra tanned 90s cheese exactly that you would still tolerate in vegas for loads of money where you wouldn't elsewhere right and it's the kind of show as well where you, where you can appreciate the artistry that's gone on in designing it and yet it's still fundamentally cheesy and you can actually drink whilst watching it and not feel guilty mm. um so i went to see it but i went to see it thinking not tongue-in-cheek but thinking i'm going to see someone who was famous 20 years yeah. ago i bet this is a bit rubbish mm. but has a, good, a few good illusions in it yeah and, and although that was broadly speaking correct the illusion is that his hair is still as thick as it was when he was a boy well i have to say that was part of it really? part of it was i was impressed by the way he looked he didn't look like he'd had loads of work done and he was really washed up mm. he actually looked like a sort of a gracefully aged 50 something mm. which i was really genuinely shocked by mm. and he actually he did a lot of audience interaction which i guess wow. I, I suppose always was part of his act mm. but if you only see him on telly you assume he's going to be really celebby about it yeah but actually a lot of his act involved talking to the audience and riffing with them and actually he seemed like a decent guy as well i know you can't really tell that too yeah. much but you probably need all that audience badinage to pad out the actual trickery oh so much badinage my god <laughs> i mean in the whole 90 minute show there were... It was like seeing Ross Noble with a couple of amazing illusions <laughs> thrown in. There, there were, yeah, I'd say there were three 
sort of staggering illusions right as in cars appearing out of nowhere and you know things no. blowing up and stuff cars not cards uh cars yes right like a whole jeep appears on stage at one minute and stuff wow. like that okay so that that kind of thing's cool and then i would say three kind of uh, tricks that if you went to go and see a mid-range magician would be the end of their act but when you see David Copperfield, you're like, yeah, well, that, that's good. Yeah, it's an album track from and, David Copperfield. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then three pretty rubbish close-up card tricks. Oh, really? And I was like, he doesn't need to do card tricks. But it, it's that thing that when you go and see a magician, you sort of expect it. And what they had, obviously, is they had cameras so you could see yeah. on the screen what he was doing. But actually, I did wonder whether the person that he was doing it with was just a plant. and Because mm. most of the audience were watching it on the screen. The screen mm. could actually be a pre-recorded VT of what's in his hands. Oh, no. And actually, he could just be talking to an actor. And I thought, since that could be the trick, this is a really bad trick to do. But maybe it's because they know that with all these extraordinary illusions that are very televisual, you want to show people that you've still got it when it comes to the close-up stuff. Although evidently he didn't yes. do that. He inspired your cynicism. Well, well, I, I think, think I think that's right, though, isn't yeah. it? It's showing that you've still got the chops and it's yeah. not all about camera trickery. Although, mm. I like an illusion. I like a good illusion that I didn't see coming. That mm. is still, you know, I was, even though it was cheesy, I was clapping spontaneously when that happened, yeah. couldn't help it. But the thing is that the, the narrative of a card trick, the second someone brings out a deck of playing cards, you know that it's going to end with them finding your card. Or... Mm. So it's not a surprise when it happens, ever. Or there'll be the misdirection where they'll be like, your card was the Jack of Clubs. And yeah. you go, no, no it, it wasn't. It yeah. was the Seven of Diamonds. And they go, ah. And then they show that they've had the Seven of Diamonds tattooed on yeah, their chest. exactly. When you were watching The Illusions, were you actually gobsmacked? Or were you just thinking, well, I'm pretty sure I know how he did this? Because I'm very credulous when it comes to tricks. I never know how they're done. Uh, it was slightly ruined for me by the fact that um, I'd seen the... Uh, the Masked Magician, that series on Sky One. No. Tonight, the Masked Magician will reveal the tricks. But again, this is David Copperfield's fault for not changing his show for mm. 20 years. In that show, and I'd forgotten all about it until I saw the thing being reenacted on stage in front of me, mm. and they showed how one of his most famous illusions happens. Uh, it's the one where he goes through a giant uh, blade of a fan. Um, uh. So there's a giant fan on stage. That wouldn't work with a Dyson Airblade, would it? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Very disappointing. I'll just pop right through. No problem. Uh, there's a giant sort of... I, I guess I'm at like 30 foot diameter fan okay. on stage and it's spinning it's all very dramatic and he does the Michael Bolton wind in the hair thing and it's all very 80s and very like you know does he have a very floaty shirt as well yeah he's got the floaty they shirt they can stand on, yeah. in a kind of Christ-like pose with yeah, the shirt it's, it's, it's sort it. of um, uh, kind of earth song era Michael yes, Jackson yeah. that's the stage. that's what I'm seeing yeah so you've, you've conjured up that <laughs> in my mind yeah a lot of purple um, <laughs> and so that's all happening on stage and his assistant's who are also doing this funny sort of mime dance thing, all come on with these panes of um, sort of tracing paper, I suppose, right. in frames. Yeah? yeah, And they slot it around the giant fan so that eventually you've got a kind of stairway up to the giant fan made out of tracing paper so that when they project it from behind, you see the silhouette of David Copperfield walk up to the fan and then walk through the fan. Um. And you think, where is he? Is He's he dead? Meat. What's happened to him? And then he turns up at the back of the theatre. I was here all along. At the back of the theatre. Yeah, which is pretty good, right? Because you've just seen him on stage two seconds before. Does that mean he's had a lookalike minced up? Yes. Oh. Having seen Masked Magician Reveals the Tricks, I knew what was going to happen, so I looked out for it. And so I saw the moment when David Copperfield, carrying one of these tracing paper pain things, mm. walks off the stage to be replaced by his lookalike, oh. holding it over his face, but wearing otherwise identical clothes, mm. slotting into place, his silhouette going into the fan. So I was looking for David Copperfield to come into the theatre, and I saw the moment, because we were sitting at the back in the cheap seats, I saw the moment where the usher came in with a man with a blanket over his head. Oh, God. <laughs> no. With a torch. 
torch into the middle of the and of course everyone else was watching the stage but I was looking for it so I saw it and actually when you see it it's so pedestrian and unmagical Aww. seeing just a middle aged man with a blanket over his head and then but what was clever is how the usher managed to remove the blanket and then somehow make himself very scared yeah but you might not have even noticed if David Copperfield had come in without a blanket on his head because you wouldn't have been looking for an unusual person if he'd come in dressed as an usher yeah so you would have just thought he was part of the furniture effectively that's true you're trained not to notice people in uniform he still would have had to have only had 20 seconds to get changed Felt into an crow. usher's outfit Velcro stripper uniform type um, usher uniform I mean that was the thing actually in a way what was the most impressive thing about it was he still non- I saw the moment he swapped on stage and he only had about 20 seconds to get from the stage to the back of the theatre so what you've learned is that he's a good runner he's good on his feet yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe he's got a segue <laughs> take him around the corridors um, so really they're just playing to the expensive seats cheap seats they don't get the illusions well that's America for you isn't it mm. yeah 2013 is nearly at an end So I need to make money to buy Christmas gifts for friends Last year I got them all socks and they had to pretend That I'm not a stingy bitch Well this year why not try to make some money online Build a store through squarespace.com and perhaps tap a gold mine And with the dosh you can buy everyone a crate of red wine Or milk for the kids Kids love milk. Yes, big thanks to Squarespace.com for supporting this episode of Answer Me This. Thank you. Uh, And also, big special thanks to Alan, who works for Squarespace in Dublin, uh, with whom I had a live chat the other day. Did you? How lovely. Uh, I was asking him a lot of boring questions about file formats, and then... He was like, leave me alone, Ollie, let me get on with my work. (laughs) Uh, After about 20 minutes of my incessant boring questions... He was like, but by the way, I really, really like your show. I listen oh. to your show all the time. Oh. Hi, Alan. Um, That's nice, so there you go. Exemplifying the great thing about Squarespace, live chat support in Dublin and New York. That is extremely tolerant of boring questions from Ollie Mann. Uh, but also the kind of people work there who are li- answer me this listeners through and through. So by Squarespace supporting <laughs> the show, they're giving Alan something to listen to and thus uh, cheering up his life and making him a better Squarespace employee. Mm, well, for all I know, he could have been listening to us whilst he was advising me on tech support because, of course, it was all done through live chat. I, I don't, don't think anyone could deal with Ollie Man in stereo. <laughs> no. Well, listeners, if you fancy a bit of Squarespace action yourself, then you can have it at a discount price if you enter the code ANSWER11 if you want to buy their web building services. And also, if you have built a Squarespace website, then uh, please let us know about it by tweeting us the link with the hashtag AMT Squarespace. And then we will choose our favourite and that person will have their free trial extended for a year's worth of full subscription to the Squarespace service. That's pretty good. Here's a question from Heather in Newcastle who says, My eldest daughter is about to give birth any day now, so I'm going to become a grandmother for the first time. Ah, Isn't that nice? That is nice. Yeah. As she says, I want to be a good grandmother. Good. Doesn't want to be one of those shit grandmothers. She no. wants to be a good one. Doesn't want to be a demon grandmother. Uh, and my husband, he wants to be a good grandfather. Well, you seem like a very well-matched pair. I think you've got the basics there actually already. Uh, because she says, Helen, answer me this. What do you think makes good grandparents? And Aww. I think that's quite important, isn't it? The desire to be a good grandparent. That's such a sweet question. It is a sweet question. I think uh, you have two different focuses one of them is the child and one of them is the parents of the child and they have quite different priorities i think for the child you want to be the fun person that does things with them that are a bit out of the ordinary so it's special Mm, time with mm. grandparents like taking them swimming or uh, yes my grandparents always used to do like a, a weird diorama in their cellar for for bonfire night full of 
like candles and weird decorations and frogs and stuff. The frogs were just there anyway, but they made it seem like a fun thing. Mm. Um, just really wanted to make sure you hated Catholics, right, from a young age. Ban them. Ban them. <laughs> but I think that's right. I think it's important that the time is special rather yeah. than the time is uh, lavishly expensive. I think grandparents mm. often confuse that, don't they? There's competition, especially between maternal and paternal grandparents to buy the best oh, presents. Yes. And that's not important. Well, it can just be something cheap like taking them to a council swimming pool or a library. It's just got to be your yes, thing you do. Playing board games as well. Because exactly, often, yeah. often the parents of the child are too busy or too tired. Yeah. But that financial restraint actually, um, I think, is important in being a good grandparent for your children, the child's parents, because I think it's important not to muscle in too much. I think mm. it depends on the child. Some of them will be really dependent on you and your advice because they'll be panicking. But I think offer it when it is asked for. Don't give unsolicited advice. Well, I have no grandparents anymore, Ollie. Mm. You still have an incredible grandma. Grandma Terry. What is it that CF makes... CF, answer me this, 200. Yeah. yeah. What, what is it about Terry, though, that makes her such a top-notch grandma? <laughs> Uh, well, see, that's a slightly unfair question because not everyone can do this. What what she mm. does, which is impressive, is she becomes more liberal as she gets older, and that's unusual. Yeah. She does a lot, doesn't she? She's she still very does active. a lot. There's a very active. There's a, a world of, well. of bridge yeah. and dating. Yes, uh, and is she seeing anybody? At social the networking. She is. Yes, is Brian. She? How is, is how quite is, a catch. Is he? He is. Is he your new grandpa? Uh, <laughs> no, he's not. But actually, I think it shows how modern she is that that isn't even part mm. of the discussion. It's, she's just grandma's boyfriend i don't want to settle down boyfriend <laughs> how old is he uh he is a toy boy he's 81 wow yeah racy yeah no but he's he's what's he like he's very tall and debonair mm. um he's got a very sort of rich melted butter type voice yeah does he always have an excellent jacket and shirt yeah like very he's, crisp he's fun yes. that's what he is he's someone that probably she wouldn't have felt she could have settled down with in the first she's player, someone that player. frankly frankly she clearly finds more sexually attractive than my grandfather. Yeah, but her grandfather... But she wouldn't necessarily have been married to him no. for 50 years. Your grandfather gave her family life. Yes. Now it's the time of her life that she wants to be <laughs> footloose. Yeah. But I think also, actually, anecdotes about the past as well. Um, and Because, you know, the cliche about grandparents, mm. you know, Uncle Albert sitting in the rocking chair and only falls and horses banging on about the war, yeah. uh, is that if you sit there crapping on about your old life, it's boring. Actually, it's not boring if you tell an interesting story. And that doesn't yeah. have to be. That doesn't have to have an incredible twist or be a, a, a misery memoir about child abuse. Mm. It just has to be vividly recalled, evoking a time. I know kids aren't interested in this, but teenagers genuinely, I think a lot of them, if they're switched on and they're interested in history, are interested in. Like for example, my grandma telling me about when she first saw my grandpa across a ballroom Aww. during wartime, and you know she was nineteen and she was a virgin, and she'd like petitioned her parents so that she could go out to this ball. And then she saw him and their eyes locked. And exactly what her parents did not want to happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, I think a month later they were engaged or something ridiculous. the style of time. Um, I just, you know, that stuff's captivating if told well. That's lovely. Mm. However, when I asked uh, my grandparents about interesting times of their lives, for instance, Grandad, what did you do behind the Iron Curtain? Complete stonewalling. <laughs> and Granny destroyed all the paperwork of mysterious work that they did yes. around wartime. Yeah, well, if there's a government contract insisting that they do that, <laughs> Helen, it's a bit difficult to break it for the grandchildren, isn't it? I, I often wonder what it is that my nieces and nephews uh, see in my father, their grandfather. Because he is not hands-on at all. He views the children with somewhat irritated tolerance mm. as long as they let him watch the rugby in peace but he doesn't really interact with them much 
What do they make of him? I can't work it out. I don't know, but I think as a senior man, as a senior Jewish man in particular, actually, you're allowed to get away with fulfilling that archetype in a way that I think is actually unjustifiable. My own mm. father does this too. You know, if, if you live your life as if Grumpy Old Men isn't a, a comedy, <laughs> but actually a documentary, um, <laughs> then everyone's just like, oh, he's a grumpy old man, ha ha. And you can get away with stuff which women aren't allowed to. No. And, uh, I think it's not on, actually. Well, but I there you go. My mum, I think, is a very good grandmother. I think she was always anxious that she wasn't a full-on grandmother. And so now both of my sisters-in-law seem uh, crazy for my mum to be involved. Yes, love well, it. well, see, now this is it. I think there's a third person you need to bear in mind, uh, in addition to the child and the parents. Yes. And that's yourself. Yes. Uh, ultimately, the grandchild is going to be part of the uh, menagerie of people who are choosing <laughs> your old folks home so nice. you know bear that in mind it's it's it's, it's not your primary motivation yeah. and it'll be obvious if you if you make it clear that it is but in the back of your mind you've got to be thinking ultimately these people you know they're, they're going to inherit what i own yeah and also they're going to decide where i die yeah think about that think about that before you get a really shit present for nice you. thanks for for putting a sad pull on on these things <laughs> um also storytelling i think is important yes. not if it's not your natural gift oh my god I, I i wish i had not over recorded these when i was little my grandfather recorded himself reading the just so stories oh and he, was, he had such a great soothing voice and then when i was a teenager i probably recorded the chart show over yeah, it that's what, an idiot? what you choose oh. to record over it is the embarrassing thing I'm isn't a monster. it i've actually got grandpa matt uh mm. telling the stories of fishtail and percival right who were these two characters that he'd invented oh now I'm sure that if I listen back to them now, and I'd like to because I'd like to hear his voice again, mm. but I never have for 20 years because I suspect they'd be shit. But at mm. the time, I thought they were incredible and he was better than everyone on Jack and Ori. And oh. I now realise that actually the fact that he was recording them on cassette at all wasn't, in fact, so that I could have them for posterity. It was to shut me up <laughs> because he'd tell me a story and he'd go, Oliver, be quiet because we can record the story. Oh, that's, that's uh, another, very clever technique. That's another technique to bear in mind then yeah. when you're a grandparent, have a, an arsenal of tricks to shut a child up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to shut up now. But if you would like to contribute a question to next week's show, then all of our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com and add slash Christmas to that URL if you want to get our Christmas album because not only do you get an hour's worth of fun and jollity about Christmas but also you're supporting the show if you buy it. Absolutely yeah. right. And this is the time of year, frankly, where you need to be getting in the mood for Christmas. It may not seem like it. It may seem like the year's gone in a flash but get on it now otherwise you'll just be miserable. You'll just be Scrooge and this album will help you along. Scrooge probably wouldn't have bought it, would he? He's Scrooge. Well, he's he's tight with money, isn't he, Scrooge? He is. So he wouldn't want to shell out two pounds forty nine. Two pounds forty nine, though. That's that's cheaper than a candle for Bob that's Cratchit. Right, Mister Cratchit, it certainly is. So thanks for that in advance, and uh, we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.